Hello, it's Vikas Pota, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us here for this uh, panel. I know it's getting a little late in the day, but we hope you still have a lot of energy because we have some amazing people here uh, to tell you about um, the education workforce and how important it is to making progress in education. My name is Lisbeth Steer. I am the director of the Education Commission. Um, this is a global commission that was set up in 2015. It's led by Gordon Brown, the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and also UN Special Envoy for Global Education. The commission consisted of 25 um, individuals who all have made a big difference either in their own countries through being ministers or heads of state or through being part of international organizations or, or uh, teacher unions and so on. So 25 people sat together for a whole year and tried to think about the challenges in education and the, and the, the bottlenecks and the solutions. And that was written down in a report called The Learning Generation. And the learning generation has been the basis for the Education Commission to continue its work in the past two years, really trying to progress some of its main recommendations. And one of the recommendations in the report was to diversify the education workforce. It was starting with a recognition that the workforce is very important to make progress in education, but that we perhaps should start thinking or think more in a different way about how we bring everybody together around the goal of um, learning. So today there is um, a panel of, of people here who will help us talk a little more about this topic. Um, it's quite important for us as the Commission because we are in the process at the moment with the, the support of the UK government to bring out a global report called the Education Workforce Report. And that will come out in July, where we again have been bringing together the evidence that exists today around this um, idea of diversifying the workforce and bringing everybody together uh, around uh, learning. And then we are also doing a number of case studies in three countries, um, Sierra Leone, Ghana, and Vietnam, and that will continue until the end of the year. So we're really looking for the best ideas out there. Um, and I will get, a, I'm sure, uh, quite a few of them today from the panel here, but also hopefully from you all um, in the audience. So let me uh, quickly introduce um, the wonderful people here, I will do it quickly because there's no way I will tell you how wonderful they are in the time we have available, so I will summarize. <laughs> um, I have two fantastic former ministers here who each have done amazing things in their own countries. Jaime Saavedra, who was Minister for Education in Peru and now leads the World Bank's global practice on um, education. 
We have uh, Juho Lee, who was Minister of Education in South Korea and has since then um, been on the global stage bringing the experience of education in Korea and his work also as a former academic uh, to the Education Commission as a commissioner. He's leading a lot of the work that we're doing within the commission, um, also um, associated with the um, KDI, which is a Korean development institute and research institution. Um, I have uh, Sharath uh, Jevan, who is the founder and CEO of STIR Education. And STIR is an organization that aims to spark the intrinsic motivation of teachers. Very important uh, to make progress. We have uh, Lucy Lake, who's the uh, CEO of Camfit International. And CAMFIT um, is all about inclusive and equitable education, and in particular, uh, in particular uh, working with girls. And then finally, we have Dennis uh, Misney from the Lehman Foundation. You head that foundation, and you are basically trying to transform education in Brazil. Yeah. I think I, I could summarize it like that, working with a lot of partners uh, there. So I will first ask some questions uh, from our panelists and then open it uh, to a discussion. We want to keep it quite interactive so you don't fall asleep. Um, I'm sure you won't, but um, I know after a long day um, that, and with jet lags, uh, we don't want that to happen. So first of all, I want to go to you, um, Jaime. Um, the World Bank has brought out in the past two years two big reports called the World Development Report. And the first one, um, two years ago, was on education itself, on learning, the learning crisis. The second one was on the future of work. Um, both of these reports emphasize the importance of education. Now, bringing that body of work together, what would you say is the role of the education workforce, and in particular the teachers, in our ability to make progress in education, and what challenges do you think we are facing in bringing the right number of people and human resources to the sector to make progress? Well, thank you very much for the, uh, uh, for the opportunity. Um, I, I think a key, a key, f a key factor um, of everything that we can do in terms of improving quality of education uh, will be teachers. Despite um, technology and artificial intelligence, machine learning, everything, education will continue being, at least in the foreseeable future, a human interaction intensive endeavor. Right? So we need to have clarity on that. And actually, everyone here in, his, in this room, all the adults here in this room, everyone will remember by name, mm -hmm. by name, that teacher 10, 20, 30, whatever, years ago, that said something that changed the way you, th you, th you think about things. Everyone will remember that good teacher. And will also remember that bad teacher, right? <laughs> um, both, right? But it's amazing. I mean, 40 years later, you will remember the name of that person. Right? So that's, that's how important teachers are in the life of people. Right? So when we are not each time that we see that we don't have the right person in front of a student, right, it is a tragedy. It is a tragedy. Either if there's no teacher or if we have a teacher 
that doesn't have the right support, the right motivation, the right qualifications, right? If that, if that interaction between a not-so-good teacher and a boy or girl, if that would be our daughter or our son, we would say that's a tragedy. We would say, well, this is an extremely serious problem. I'm in a deep trouble, right? But we know that that is happening for millions of millions of kids, right? So that, I mean, we, we need to think it that way in order to understand that we are in a very serious problem, mm -hmm. right? Because we have fantastic teachers, like the ones we will, will be awarded tomorrow. Yes, we have fantastic teachers, but not all students are in front of a fantastic teacher yet. Now, what to do? I mean, that will be what we're going to be discussing the whole, the whole hour, but um, there are a few things. One is that in terms of the, for instance, the type of dialogue that we're having now at the World Bank with, with governments, true, we have been investing a lot on training, in teachers' training, which is important. That's important to do. But it seems to me that we're in, we have been investing a lot on teachers' training because that's the path of less resistance. Right? It's, well, who, who will disagree with that, right? So, and is, is, is it bad? No, it's okay, we should do it, right? But first of all, not necessarily all the training in which we're investing is the right training, or the right quality, or the right type of training. We can discuss more about that. But actually, what we need to do is to reform the whole teacher's career, right, in many countries, right? And make sure that all countries have the right HR function, right, in the sense that they have the right structure in which they they select, they prepare, they form, they incentivize, they care about their well-being, they promote, they check what's their accountability, the whole HR structure that you need to have regarding the teacher's profession. Right? So that's the type of reforms that's more, more, more complicated. Right? But actually, we need to do that whole package, which includes teacher's training. Right? But doing only teacher's training, that's the only margin. And the, the second point, and then I'll shut up, is no. that um, we need to take politics out of the classroom, mm -hmm. right? Actually, I went to Ceará after, after a visit of, of the colleagues from Lehman. Um, I was very curious about what has happened in Sobral in Brazil and in Ceará, which is a municipality in Brazil, which 10 years ago was, was in the position 1500 of the ranking of municipalities in Brazil. Brazil has excellent data. Right, so we know where each municipality is regarding learning, and went from that position to position number one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> one, right? Being a small municipality in a poor state in Brazil. Right? Now, what happened there? Many things happened. What one critical point that happened is the way they selected teachers and principals. Right? Going from a politicized way of selecting people who would be in the classroom and the local authorities, to a system in which that was, they were selected on a merit-based, on um, a meritocratic base. What the mayor of Sobral told me was, our political decision was to take politics out of the classroom. And that, I think, was a fantastic political decision. Let me leave it there. Great. Thank you. Um, I will turn to Juho next. Um, Juho, you come from a country that really cares about innovation, technology, and cares very much about education, um, a topic taken very seriously in South Korea. We know that the introduction of technology has been challenging in education, and um, 
It's often met with a lot of resistance. It's often not led to the results that uh, we had hoped it would uh, bring. What do you think are we getting wrong in introducing technology and how could we do better in bringing and creating uh, technology in a way that enables uh, progress? Yeah. So let me start with a story about Korea. Uh, Korea is often regarded as best example of uh, educational success and often pointed out World Bank that Korea is the exemplary case. Uh, but uh, to be honest, uh, we have been attracting the best students to the teaching job. So top 1% top of our students uh, become teachers now. Uh, but uh, current education system, not, I'm not talking just about the Korean system. The global education system is failing. Uh, these best uh, students to become good teachers, uh, they are not well prepared to provide personalized learning for every student in the classroom. So, uh, so as you pointed out, uh, technology is really the promising uh, alternative. Uh, but we found out that technology alone cannot make a meaningful impact in education. It should be combined with uh, teachers, change in teachers. Mm -hmm. We often talk about digital transformation in many industries. Uh, digital transformation means redefining the industry, right? So we, if you really want to benefit from the, uh, the digital technologies, we really have to think about how we redefine education. Uh, so that, there is one very, very promising uh, possibility here uh, because uh, when I was minister, I just asked many, many, many things to teachers. I, I was ambitious. But it's really hard for teachers to, uh, to uh, accept uh, or deliver uh, the, the, the agendas that ed 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 education ministry is asking, asking them because they already have a lot of burden. Uh, and there, there are students nowadays uh, requires a lot of attention and cares, human touches from teachers. And it's an insurmountable burden for teachers now. So uh, one, one very good uh, potential embracing technology is that think about AI in the classroom. AI can provide uh, personalized learning or uh, knowledge contents. So maybe uh, teachers don't really need to deliver uh, the curriculum content at all. It just let AI do this and can focus on the things that teachers really want to do, human touches, human connections, mentoring, and so forth. But this, this really a good big idea is never uh, tried uh, in reality. It's really big. Uh, it's really difficult, but many, too many uh, experts and, 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 and educators, uh, this could seem to be a really good solution. So how we can make it happen? Uh, because I am working with Education Commission, uh, maybe we can globally uh, co uh, collaborate uh, to make, it, make this happen. So think about this big idea, how we can achieve this. Maybe you can split into a, a, a small steps and try it a step by step and, and learn from each step and share the experience globally and we can uh, attain the goal. Right? But 
currently, in many countries, as, as, as you pointed out, uh, the education, educational policies and efforts is really fragmented and not coherent. And, and, and regime by regime, country by country, we actually try different things and different initiatives are, are, are coming and, and going. And, and there is no accumulation of experience in making a real big changes happen in education. So now I think it's time for uh, collective action to make this big uh, I mean changes happen in reality. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. And I think you, you point out an important thing that the introduction of technology can help with address some of the content issues, but gives teachers the opportunity to focus on these skills that we keep on saying are so important in the 21st century. Yeah. So we've, we've, we've said now it's so important to think about creativity, teamwork, collaboration, and all these skills that are being added on to uh, what teachers already may need to teach. And so I think what you're saying is it, technology could really help sort of deliver all of that in a coherent way. And I think as a commission, what we really are thinking of is um, how does the entire workforce teachers, but also other personnel need to embrace or how do they need to change to be able to embrace that kind of innovation. And to talk about the sort of part of the workforce that maybe we are not always thinking of, I'm going to turn to Lucy Lake. Um, coming back to the Education Commission's recommendation that there's a need to Think of the entire workforce and the, all the roles and responsibilities that are necessary uh, to deliver quality education. That becomes particularly important when we talk about the needs of marginalized children and those who are left behind, um, who may have all sorts of needs, whether they are even health needs or there may be psychological needs. Um, and so the question is, how are we doing today in addressing the diversity of needs of marginalized um, children and, and girls in particular? And what have you learned through your work um, in terms of what the critical ingredients are uh, to make progress? Thanks, Elizabeth. And I think I'm, I'm quoting the World Development Report, actually, that you mentioned yeah. earlier and saying that um, that schooling without learning is a wasted opportunity, but more than that, it is an injustice, and it's those children whose society is failing most who need a good education to be able to succeed in life. And I think that while we're all familiar with the problem of exclusion and the numbers, the millions of children who are excluded, what's more obscured is the problem of exclusion within education. Children who are attending school erratically, who are not engaged in learning, I think that, that is a, a huge issue. And indeed, it is a cause of dropout. In the surveys that we've done, we found that low academic self-esteem was the highest cause of dropout behind poverty among marginalized children. So in thinking about how do we bridge that distance between going to school and learning, that's when I think, to your point, we need to really think about what are the complementary roles that sit alongside qualified teachers delivering learning in the classroom that can help the most marginalized young people engage so that we not only address the issue of exclusion, but that we also ensure that young people are enfranchised in 
and through education. And just to provide an example as to what we mean by these kind of complementary roles, one role that, that CAMFED has, has developed and with some success and at, and at scale is um, what's known as the Learner Guide. Learner Guides are recent school graduates who are signing up to an 18-month voluntary commitment to go back into their local schools and deliver a structured curriculum on well-being and self-development in complement to the academic curriculum. And these are sessions that are integrated into the school timetable alongside um, lessons delivered by formerly qualified teachers. And these learner guides are highly effective in bridging that distance, in bridging the distance between home and school for many of these marginalized young people. Because particularly at secondary school level, it's more than about the distance you walk to school. It's also about the fact that you may be from a home situation where parents never went to school themselves, and that suddenly becomes more of a barrier when you're at secondary school level. Bridging the distance between the fact that the curriculum, the formal academic curriculum, may be removed from the kind of relevant skills needed by those young people within school. And also the fact that they are role models, that they're working in communities where often teachers have been deployed who may, be, um, who may not be able to speak the mother tongue of the children in the classroom, um, and also for girls um, in a situation in rural areas where the majority of teachers are male, that it does provide that, that role model. Mm. And as a result of that, of that role being participating in schools alongside formal teachers, we have seen some significant results, significant results both in terms of the academic outcomes but also in terms of young people being more resilient, more likely to persist in school, more likely to feel positive and that education is, is relevant for their future. But I think the other side of it as well is that for these young people who are stepping out from school and becoming learner guides once they've graduated, it's also providing a new pathway of opportunity for them, which I think is particularly important for marginalised children, recognising that the post-school represents an abyss for many. They need something to be able to bridge into formal employment. And so we've worked to create um, a recognized qualification, a, qualifi a qualification recognized by ministries and by teacher training institutions, so that learner guides can gain currency, gain some level of accreditation, and they will then form the pipeline of future trained teachers. And those young people will then themselves represent role models mm -hmm. for marginalized young people. So I think it is about how do you not only address the needs of marginalized young people in the classroom, but open up that pathway beyond school so that they, in turn, can influence and ultimately transform the education system and ensure it is achieving that inclusive and equitable education. Yes, that's wonderful. It's a, a great uh, story of using all the assets we have to deliver um, education. and we had a very uh, meaningful conversation about this at our education workforce um, high-level steering group this week where the, minister, the, the representative from Sierra Leone said 30% of my workforce is unqualified mm. and she said it's a deficit for us. And then people said, but maybe we should turn that deficit into an asset. Mm. And that is, I guess, what you have been doing is you have people there who are not qualified, but you're turning them into an asset, which I think is really wonderful. Dennis, I'm going to turn to you um, because you've led many efforts um, to improve education outcomes in Brazil. And 
Actually, I, w I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but you told right. me yeah. um, at some point that you, that you realized at some point that you had to do things differently in Brazil to, to have an impact. And that as a foundation, you changed the way uh, you were operating um, and that you had to really move to a sort of systems approach. Um, what does that mean when we talk about individual teachers. Tell us a little bit about how did you achieve that system approach? What are the, what's the secret? I think, well, it's, mm -hmm. it's too early to think it's, there is a secret, but I think the first thing is if, if we talk about the learning crisis, as it was very well put, I think the answer is a teaching effort, right? We, if, if the problem is learning, we're not going to solve it by infrastructure alone or by regulation. I mean, real teaching needs to be happening. And I think Brazil is one of those cases, as I believe in many cases, Latin American countries uh, share that, where we did a lot of the right theoretical things, uh, demand for qualified teachers and increase the school day and you know, provide the infrastructure, but we're not really seriously looking at how learning was taking place. We're not really valuing the teaching profession as the need to really ensure that every kid was learning, but just to you know, fill some bureaucratic uh, uh, roles or to have a very theoretical preparation. So we believe education is not going to be transformed by any silver bullet initiative, but if you think systemically about it, and if you put at the center of education reform learning, and if you put teaching at the center, there is a, a higher chance of success. We have been focusing in Brazil uh, to build a coalition around first organizing what kids should be learning, and this was a, a, a very important movement in the country involving several organizations and the government that came out with the uh, national learning standards in 2017. These are mandatory for all grades and they are for all kids, but they are not standards in the sense they are detached from the classrooms. Teachers all over the country participated in the process of building the standards and they participated in reviewing the standards and now they are leading the way in terms of implementing this. This needs, this needs to come, not only standards, but really work inside the districts. And I think when we talk about teachers, we have to think about what are the environment that is needed for teachers to really best perform. And I think this environment starts at the school level with an environment that is cohesive for learning. We talk a lot about the needs for autonomy for the teachers, but autonomy is not as useful if you don't have a support system, if you cannot learn from your peers, if you cannot have someone in the school, in Brazil it's the pedagogical coordinator, who's really trained to identify what's going on, support the teachers in improving their lessons, and encourage collaboration between different teachers. It's also really important, and we have worked with that, to create at the district level opportunities for all the schools to share their best, best practices. And again, to meet not on bureaucratic requirements, but to discuss how is learning happening there, who's being successful, who's being unsuccessful, and really creating this learning environment where people are being developed. The results are showing up very, I mean, uh, uh, Jaime talked about you know, the, the story of Ceará. This is growing to other places. And we're seeing that interventions who think systemically, who really bring coherence into the system, and who really value the teaching profession as the main leader of a process where this, the students are at the center, can be transformational. So I'm, we're very far, I think, from where we want to be. But I'm very encouraged 
by what can be done with what's already in place. And the last point is, if we could only, in our countries, some of the countries in, in our region of the world, think more about how to attract the best and brightest young minds and attract them to teaching and bring them to this effort of transforming a country, I think this could be transformational and really be the, the systemic source of change that our countries need to be more developed and more fair in the future. Mm, that's wonderful. So finally, Sherat, I'm going to turn to you. Um, as we said in the beginning, you have really worried about motivation. Um, and we're just thinking, how could we reimagine the education workforce moving from a sort of one teacher, one classroom model to a much more team-based model? How could we get all these people to be motivated? And how could we, in particular, make sure that the teachers who will be at the center of this whole constellation of actors are motivated? And what have you learned uh, through your work? Yeah, thanks, Elizabeth. And I think I'm going to talk a little bit about the idea of the middle tier in education systems. And very excited that came out of the workforce and it's coming up as a big emerging theme. I speak with some hesitation as someone who's got a personal middle tier that's perhaps a bit too big, as my wife would say. So, uh, um, but, uh, but we've been on a quest at Stuff the last seven years to figure out what, um, what will uh, really get teachers to fall in love with teaching again. And being Indian, I believe you can fall in love after getting married. <laughs> so that's been the, uh, the quest. So existing teachers in government schools, we're working with about 200,000 teachers in about 40,000 schools this year in India and Uganda. And one of the learnings that's come really is that, first of all, teachers need to, to see learning and engagement of children. That's the most important and sustainable motivator. So you run a model a bit like a microfinance group for teachers. Uh, monthly meetings, a couple of hours every month. Teachers coming together 20 or so at a time in a local school or across a few local schools, um, being exposed to very evidence-driven practice and what can help improve their teaching, but not being told what to do. They have a lot of uh, this idea of autonomy um, to discuss together what exactly they'll put in place in the classroom. They discuss it, they practice it together, they commit to each other, it's a bit like a microfinance group, there's a social capital being built, and they go off and do it, come back a month later and reflecting. And the idea is they get better as a teacher but the idea um, that they can actually do something and change something, autonomy, the sense of getting better, mastery, and a sense of purpose again of being part of a community and connected with kids again drives uh, better motivation through that progress. They put more effort in, they get more engagement from kids, you go into a positive spiral that way around. Um, but so that's been a really powerful learning for us about the importance of children and the link between teachers and children. But the second part, which I think really links to the Workforce Initiative, is that what also motivates teachers is feeling that adults around them truly care. And just to give a couple of examples of, of this, right now we work at this kind of scale as a relatively small organization because the government runs this approach of these localized teacher networks themselves from day one. And to echo what Dennis was saying, the role of the district and sub-district structures, these are the people who run the networks. Just give two really practical examples from the ground. We, in an early RCT we, we did with the World Bank, we found that teachers are putting much more time and effort in. And every dollar into the approach was giving the government seven more dollars of teaching time within a year. But they were not changing practice enough. And so we worked with the state governments, this, this case in India, to really empower the people running the network meetings to also observe teachers in between network meetings. 
And that simple change has doubled, perhaps even tripled, the rate of classroom behavior change. So how teachers behave is so sensitive to those around them. Another example in Delhi, where we work across in every school in the state, we actually help the government build an entire new middle tier, help them recruit people, define the roles, et cetera. And um, DFID had done an early evaluation. Those people have been really important vectors for our work on motivation, but all kinds of other stuff has also been transmitted through that new middle tier as well. I think it's one of the best investments education systems can make. And I think it takes us away from this idea of the rugged, lonely teacher, the dangerous mind sort of film. That's important, but they, they need other adults around them. It needs to be a team effort, as Juhu said, really supporting teachers to drive learning improvement. Great. Well, we've got a lot of very good ideas here. I'd like to open it up to you all um, to help us uh, think more deeply about this issue. If you have any questions around how to strengthen the role of teachers, how to, in particular, what is the role of all these people that surround teachers to enable them to do better, and then how can we build in technology in this whole constellation? Um, please uh, raise your hand and um, you can address the panel. This will start, maybe, oh yeah, I'll follow the microphone. It's okay. Sometimes when teachers are teaching the same subject repeatedly for years, they do master the subject, but it becomes monotonous. And then they get tired, and then they get angry, and then they're <laughs> angry at the student, and the student wants to gather all that information, but is terrified. So how do you think you can tell the teachers with good experience to just calm down? <laughs> well, maybe in the support staff. Yes. So we'll take a couple more questions before we. Um... Oh yes, there's one more. So one of the things that is interesting to me is you talked a lot about this ecosystem that's not just training, but it's also selection. Who's coming into the field, and how do you incentivize and motivate? Um, how? How? What? Um, what are the best ways to bring talent into the teaching profession? How do we motivate young people want to teach? Um, especially if you're in a system where teaching doesn't have a whole lot of status, it's not paid very well. Um, how, do we, how do we motivate our bright minds come into the teaching profession? What can organizations, NGOs, or schools do to make that happen? Great. Yeah, let's take a couple more, and then I'll come back to the. Hi there. Um, I work for an organization that helps do a lot of disruption, disruption in education in the United States. And one of the things that my work revolves around is this idea that knowledge now is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. If we think about how we've learned, we typically go online to YouTube to learn something. So I'm wondering um, what you're seeing in your different contexts of what is being shed from the role of the teacher and what are the new roles of teachers, given that the sage on the stage perhaps is starting to go away. Yeah. Yeah, we'll take. Two more, and then we'll come back. Then come we'll back to that. all the questions. Actually, I, um, I have a question or something in mind that there is another aspect of looking at uh, the, 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 the role of the teacher when, we, when we're saying that the role of the teacher also to prepare uh, uh, learners and to prepare um, young people for the job market. 
So, um, so at the end of the day, we need to hear from the job market and the workforce that what is needed. So what could be done to uh, make the people in the education sector to be informed about what is needed for, in order for them to prepare the students for the job market? Yes. Um, I'm interested to hear from the panel about uh, the experience about national awards, the Global Teachers Award and national awards in their countries. How are they um, serving their purpose as motivation for teachers or not? Great, thank you. Well, um, angry teachers, I think so. <laughs> that's one for you. <laughs> yeah, so, so one of the, uh, one of the things we, we, we talk to teachers who have been two or three months into a network, a teacher network, and part of this their approach, we ask them, what's changed for you? And honestly, the most common response I hear talking to one of our teachers is, I've stopped beating my children. And okay, so capital punishment is illegal in both Uganda and India, where we work, but it becomes so much of a de facto because you're an 80-person classroom. And, and so and just, just to touch on a couple, so I think that idea of can we get that motivation to really um, to feel you can improve and you're supported by others, other teachers, and those in the systems can be a big driver around that. And just linking to a couple of other thoughts on the, um, do you want me to, uh, just on, on the sort of what will bring a new, the new teachers in, I think seeing current teachers feel satisfied and motivated, it's amazing how that has a big impact as well in bringing a better generation in. So you want to talk that? about angry? Yeah. Wow, that's oh, good. I want to talk about attraction. Oh, yeah, okay. And but did you want to talk about no, the no, angry? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead then I'll, okay, I'll attraction. Talk after. Great. No, I Maybe think I they shouldn't talk. be angry. So, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I think part of it, so just to comment on that, I think part of it is I think the career of teachers in many countries is very monotonous. Mm -hmm. And even if you're a great teacher, there's no other step for you to move forward. And in many other professions, if you're really excelling at something, you can move. In, in my country, for example, if a teacher wants to uh, have a better salary, they have to become a principal, which is a completely different mm -hmm. uh, job description. And, but that's what's available. And when you see in some systems, uh, systems you, know, you can become a master teacher, or you can become the, you know, helping to develop content, or you can be training other teachers. So I think if we offered that opportunity, that would also help you know, changing this. The other thing is we still treat in most countries teacher as a tenured professor uh, profession. So you are, in, in the case of Brazil, you pass a test, and then you have a, you know, a job for 30 years. And nobody's giving you feedback, and nobody is looking to your job or helping you move forward. So I don't think that's very exciting. That's also probably not very good for the kids that you're there for 30 years. And in a moment now, maybe this was the norm many years ago. And to make a profession respectable, you had to offer a lifetime uh, commitment. But that's not the case what young people are looking for. So how to attract some of the best and brightest young kids to join the teaching force? I think one thing is we have to take advantage that a lot of the young people in the world today, they are looking for, and there is research on that, they are looking for purpose, they are looking for practical work, they are looking for meaningful work, they are looking for things that are changing all the time, that are you know, uh, pro uh, full of problems to be solved. And when I uh, read that, I don't think Google. 
I think, you know, teacher. If you can, you can be a teacher, you can be there, you can see the real world. And we are, we are seeing this in Brazil with Ensina Brazil, it's like the Teach for All in Brazil. I mean, they just opened, they paid the same salaries of a teacher, they get the same salary. They got 12,000 people from the best universities in Brazil applying for 100 spots to be two years teachers in very low income schools and they are coming. Would they come if it was a five year or a 10 year? I don't know, maybe they would. They wouldn't apply maybe to a 30 year profession with no recognition, with no like, you know, incentive. And so I think this is one thing. We can take advantage of this new generation wanting purpose. And the second and last thing is we have, there are some examples. I think Chile is a good example uh, where they actually it, they, they approved a new policy for teachers when they said we're going to gradually over the next 10 years increase the minimum grade you have to have in order to be able to access a teaching college, like to be able to go to ed school and to become a teacher. You need a higher grade in your high school, in your SATs equivalent or A-levels or I don't know in your countries what the equivalent is. And I think that's really important because that costs zero and that shows that you know, more and more better people are going to be. That values the profession. It shows you need the best in your generation to train the next generation. And by itself, it starts to create some more scarcity in the profession instead of being about like, oh, please become a teacher. We're desperate, come, we need, and, which I think is just like, you know, we have to change the narrative around teaching. We have to elevate it and of course, Paying better is good, but I think there's a lot of things that we can do before that that can be uh, uh, as effective. Great. Yeah. Do you want to say something about the yeah. stage on the stage and the guide by exactly. the side as yeah. well? Yeah. So according to the Bloom's taxonomy, very well known to education uh, people, uh, students are required to first master uh, and understand knowledge, and then. Uh, as to uh, analyze, apply, and create. So, uh, but uh, mostly teachers are just tied up to the function to uh, make students memorize and understand. But if you really able to embrace uh, artificial intelligence and ed education technologies and let them uh, do this uh, delivery, then uh, teachers can move up uh, to the uh, Bloom's taxonomy and can focus on uh, analyze, uh, 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 apply, and, and create. So yeah. this is ki kind of an idea, but why not try the, uh, the, the much different role of uh, teachers? Because current role of teachers just focusing on delivering the knowledge contents that are designed by others. Right? So that, that is not really a professional job. That, that are not exciting to uh, youths who have ambition and, and, and really want to make innovation. So why not making teachers designers of learning experience for every, every children mm -hmm. by focusing on different roles? So this is really big idea, but many are now agreed. Uh, and also teachers love this change. So uh, we, op we often think that the, the teachers are resisting the big changes. But if we, we clearly uh, make the message that this new change can make teachers really enjoy their jobs and can make uh, focus can make them focus on what they really want to do, why, why not they are embracing those changes? Yeah, and I think that's evidenced by a lot of the teachers who are um, 
competing for the prize this week. That is, they stand out because of what, what yeah. you were describing. I'm just going to ask Jaime to no, respond to the workforce issue, the preparation. I, let me, let me uh, first, I mean, think about the, um, this issue of that knowledge is ubiquitous, right? So then okay. what's the role of teachers? And sometimes I think I don't even know who remembers here this um, uh, the cover of this record by Nirvana, right, in which there is a baby in the middle of a in, in uh, the middle of a swimming pool, bill. right in the middle there, right. I mean, depending on your age, you will remember that <laughs> <laughs> the cover of that record. But for me, it's like that, right? That's all the knowledge. But there's there's this baby. Like, where do I go? Up, down, north, south, and actually, that's all the knowledge that exists. And actually, yes, true. All that knowledge is available now in the internet uh, if you have an internet connection, but let's assume you have it. Um, yes, but someone has to guide. guide you and help you, not, not only guide you, but have that feeling of where to go, right? What are the right questions that I should ask, be asking myself? How can I have some critical thinking that can allow me to go from one thought to the other? And that's the role of the teacher today. Right? So it's much less about knowledge, but it's much more about Analysis. learning to learn, right? about creativity, about being, I mean, qu asking yourself questions. Now, that makes it a much more complicated and much more challenging profession than what it was before. Right? So, and then it goes to, then, to the other question, then how we attract the right people to that profession. Right? And actually, I don't think that we're gonna solve the problem with marginal changes in terms of the structure here and there. It has to be that countries start thinking, okay, how do I move from this steady state to this other type of profession, right, in which I'll give, and everything that you said, right, in terms of the structure of the career in which you, you have a, a career that it's really motivating, right, that it's tough, that it's difficult, right, but at the same time in which you can provide all the possible support for that person to do his job or her job well or the right career path, right? At the same time, that person has to internalize the immense responsibility that, it, that she or he has, right? So she has to internalize that she cannot or he cannot beat someone, yeah. right? He, she has to internalize that she cannot be angry. Right? She has to, whatever happened, she has to leave her anger at the door, right? Because everything she's doing inside or he's doing inside the, the, the classroom will have an impact on the life of that, of, that, of that student, right? So that internalization is absolutely critical. They have to be there also thinking, look, this is not a job, right? Yeah, it is a job, but by the way, it is a job that is about giving the tools to a person to be happy in life, yeah. right? So that's a very tough job. Right. So there has to be that internalization as well, right? As part of this structured career that you were, yeah. that you were describing. Right. Before I go back, there was the national awards. Is oh, that something, yeah. Lucy, yeah, you would like to say something about? Yeah, I can. I mean, I think, and just picking up on Dennis's point about changing the narrative, because I think awards and celebration can be a way of really shifting the narrative. And so one of the things that we've been doing in the Ministries of Education is looking at how you can reward and award and celebrate teachers who are actively bringing back into the school system those young people who might have otherwise been excluded. 
So I think there is a way to do that. And I think just going back to how do we attract the brightest and the best, it's also about ensuring that the teachers are representative. And so ensuring that we are attracting a, a cross-section of people to want to engage um, in teaching. And just finally on the monotony point, I think it's also about thinking about the monotony of the young people in the classroom. And for those who are most marginalized, feeling disenfranchised, feeling that the materials that they're confronted with are often not related to their own experience that reinforce a sense of other and better. And I think for a teacher to be able to enfranchise those children, to find ways to engage in new materials, provide access to young people that really helps reinforce themselves. And Jaime, to your point, is about them developing as individuals and being happy. Mm -hmm. That I think there's a real opportunity for creativity around thinking about that process of enfran enfranchising the young people within the classroom. So yes to awards. We'll take um, <laughs> some questions in this section. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to manage. But yeah. We'll, we'll just job. take five and then I'll bring them back. Yeah, we're asking for the questions here and then we got seven out. Say quick. Yeah, yeah. Say quick so I've, I can yeah, go around. Just a question for you, sir, because uh, I'm a member of the parliament in Italy and before that I was chief of staff of the Minister of Education in Italy. We passed a major reform, uh, three billion worth. One of the key issues was about selection, training of teachers, etc., etc. And basically, uh, I found quite interesting your point about the fact that training is important, but then it's not enough unless you restructure careers of teachers, uh, mm -hmm. and you address this as a sort of HR policy in general. Mm -hmm. My question is, do you have evidence of countries that have recently gone through the process? Because in Italy, with trade unions, and I don't believe this is just Italian issue, mm -hmm. uh, it would be almost impossible. Because when you're discussing about career, you're discussing about assessment of teachers. Mm -hmm. That's an extremely yeah. sensitive issue. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, do you have any hints yeah. in terms of uh, policy design and, and mm -hmm. best practices across the world? Thank mm -hmm. you. Perfect. We can. <laughs> Say it quickly, we can get more of you in. Yeah, just, just go down, get five, and I'll come back. Well, uh, thank you. First, this is a huge issue, so it's great to, to hear you. Uh, I am Joaquin from Chile, so I, I know the case that you, you mentioned, mm -hmm. Dennis. And uh, we attract, uh, in my organization, an NGO, attract high-performing students into yes. teaching career programs. Mm -hmm. uh, it is called Elige Educar, um, which means choose teaching. And we have found out uh, through research that the things that motivate students to apply to teaching careers are, are three things. One, the intrinsic motivation. Uh, secondly, the status of the profession. And thirdly, the working conditions. So I would like to ask you how to combine those things. Because it's not enough to say, come, come to the teaching profession is beautiful <laughs> if people won't support you uh, when you say, I'm going to become a teacher. And if you don't have the, the conditions needed. So how to combine those elements for uh, the profession that uh, societies need? Combine, great. Well, we'll come back. Uh, so I, it's always a bit of a concern to me that we have a discussion about the teaching profession without representatives of the teaching profession at the table. Um, and there are 32 million teachers who are in a union and con unions connected to Education International. Um, and I think this is a problem not just in this space, but one which is echoed in so many policy spaces at a national level, where teachers and representatives of teachers 
uh, in unions are not involved sufficiently in a policy dialogue. And if you want to find practical solutions to improve the teaching profession, you need teachers who are elected representatives to be part of that process. Now, sometimes unions are presented as part of the problem, but they have to be seen as part of the solution and have to be brought into a policy dialogue so I that agree. they can share their experience and their expertise. It's disappointing that it's not here, but it needs to be addressed at every level. Yes. I agree. We can get you could um, on another. What is the role of teacher unions in that policy dialogue? That would be the question. Yes. Hi. Thank you, Jane. Um, I just have an observation to make. I come from a country where teaching is highly regulated, um, highly scrutinized, highly league tabled. And what I notice as a teacher educator um, is that though I don't agree with that measuring and measurement, it's a driver for change. Because the minute you start measuring and comparing on a national level, it changes things. And I wonder whether the question I'm asking is that maybe league table of some description, I say this with caution, of good teacher education across national fronts will encourage government, and this I just want your expert thoughts on, moving the teaching profession, because it seems to me that there is plenty of research from countries contextually as to what makes good teacher education, what makes good teacher education as a continuous CPD profession as well. Why aren't we looking at all of those and using those as a measure to drive government? Because <clears throat> as people, we can make the decision to make the change. Um, and governments do make decisions when they're compared against each other. As much as I disagree with league tables is my question. Yes, great. Thank you. So first of all, I want to clear up the absolutely agree with you, David. We actually had supposed to have the educa Education International here, but they couldn't join at the last minute. Um, Education International is vice chair of the Education Workforce Initiative, and we are d desperately wanting to engage the <laughs> teachers because if the teachers are at the center of things, they are at the center of change, um, definitely uh, so. So we are very much engaging them uh, in the effort. Um, yeah, I so can, I will, uh, yeah, I will add, to Juho add, add to well. that. Uh, based on many experience, uh, you know that we found uh, many education policies are uh, reversed and, and stopped uh, after the change in government. Uh, so. so Many education policies have been uh, successful because it's not coherent and cannot be continued uh, regardless of government changes. So, uh, and I found that uh, to make policies coherent, uh, the, the strategy to, ma to make uh, teachers have an agency of change is very important. Uh, teachers can keep policies uh, continued, uh, not policy makers. So uh, to make a really uh, coherent, successful policies, I agree that we really have to uh, teach a union and, and teacher themselves to be a part of the designing of the good policies at the beginning stage yes. of the designing. So in, in, the, in the case of Education Workforce Initiative that Education Commission is, is uh, launching, uh, we really uh, have to uh, work with uh, uh, the Ed Education International at the beginning stage. So we, we keep asking Education International to be part of this uh, initiative. So we are very happy to have uh, Sujan Hebgood, uh, the president of Education International, to be uh, a vice chair. So I really uh, work closely with, uh, with her and uh, 
when, when we are uh, publishing, uh, trying to publish this uh, important report on education workforce initiative, we really got a lot of feedbacks, very positive and very useful uh, feedbacks from Education International. Mm -hmm. Yes. A couple of thoughts. One is uh, that, I mean, actually it's not that they should be part of the discussion. Actually, the only way the education system will improve is if the work of the of all teachers in a, in a, in a, in the system improve so it's not that they are part of the solution uh, they are the solution yeah. right so it's uh, it's it's way more than that and uh, and and actually the role of unions could be extremely important and actually you do see in some countries unions in which the most important discussion with unions is what's happening with learning that's the main the main discussion is not of course, as all occupations, I mean, the working conditions matter are very important, but the most important thing is what's happening with children, right? So, I mean, in those systems, probably it's not happening what, uh, what you were describing, that there's beating in the classroom, right? So, I mean, if that happens, that is unacceptable, right? But actually, the good systems are the ones in which the units are, I mean, that's not the problem. The problem is that how can we change things so that learning is even better? Right? So that's, that's the type of discussions that you should have, and that, and that, that might happen. And then finally, on the uh, uh, examples in which there are changes in the career, I mean, there are changes. I mean, there are the example that we give in Brazil, what's happening in the Dominican Republic, what's happening in my country, in Peru, in which there is an introduction of, of meritocracy in the, in, this, in the sense that Matt, what, what teachers do, right, the, the, their performance, what, um, how do they engage with students matter a lot in terms of their progression in their, in their careers. And that usually includes also the acceptance of teachers, for instance, that they need to have permanent feedback about the quality of their work, right? I mean, this, in, the, in the good systems, you do see that. You see that permanent feedback, right, and that someone being in the classroom, observing what the teacher is doing and in which way he can improve, it's something that is embedded in the system, right? So that, for instance, that's one, another critical characteristic of a well-functioning education system. Great, we have three more minutes. Sharat, you get one, okay. you get one, and then whoever okay. wants to have yeah, just, another. Just a very quick, just to build on David's point, in, um, in Uganda, we've been doing a really interesting partnership with UNATO, the National Teachers Union. I talked about the middle tier system. There isn't one in secondary schools. And so with them and the MasterCard Foundation, we're actually, um, that UNATO is becoming a middle tier, doing the support supervision, practice, coaching, motivation. And it's been a really effective partnership in a quarter of all Ugandan schools now. Great. Good. Dennis? I, the, quick. the quick, very quick point is, I think for a long time, a lot of the players in the education policy debate, including and maybe especially foundations, uh, I think had a, a, a way to look at transforming education as like, this is very simple. If only I could be running this, this would all be solved. And that's how the private sector looks at it. A lot of people, they think because they went to school, they are experts in education and teaching. So I think the, the first thing that we need to do if we want to value the profession and make the large scale change uh, that was mentioned here before is we have to say, Teaching is rocket science. Like, it's really hard mm -hmm. to enter a classroom and have 40, 50 kids 
and come, come inside and with very different background, with very different knowledges, and really transform all of them into the experts that we want. It's like we talk a lot about in education about like, you know, the Harvards and Stanfords and Oxfords, but what they do is they select the best possible students in the world, they pay a ton of money, and after four years, they get the best students in the world. Not a lot of value add, right? <laughs> and so if you look at like a public school, what you want is open your doors, get anyone who comes, very small budget, but deliver after 12 years the best students in the world. That's what we all expect. And I think if we're going to do this, we have to recognize that is an extremely, extremely hard thing to do, especially at the scale that some of our countries here need, right? So we have to be conscious of that. And in order to really tackle a very complex problem, it's yes, it's about money, but it's also about putting our best and brightest minds around solving the problem and embracing its complexity, not trying to simplify it. So I think if we can do this, we're going to have a very different decade ahead of us than the decades that we have before us. Wonderful. Well, thank you everyone for engaging with this debate. Um, we hope you will engage with the Education Workforce Initiative as well. Um, the report that is currently being written and will be released in July, the country cases that are taking place, we have Amy Bellinger here from our team who is also in leading this effort. And we have Rachel Hinton from DFID who are supporting it. Uh, please come and see us if you have ideas or want to contribute in any way. And I will thank this wonderful panel uh, of people for their great contributions.